It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornshee. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is Steve Ford, your co-host for today's show. Here in the studio along with me is Pastor John Bornsheen, Senior Pastor at Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley, located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. As always, we are glad that you've joined us today. We're continuing our series titled, The Top 10 Issues That Divide Christians. In case you missed any of the episodes in this series, you can find all the broadcasts and many more on the church's website at calvaryfountain.com. That's calvaryfountain.com. And if you've recently made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's important to share your confession of faith. So please reach out and contact either Pastor John or your local pastor today. They would love to hear from you. In Luke 15, 7, Jesus tells us, There is joy in heaven, joy in the presence of God over one sinner who repents. Well, last week we finished our two-part discussion on the topic of war. Today, we'll discuss a topic that is inextricably linked with that. Some have called it the problem of evil, and along with that comes suffering. The argument goes something like this. The presence of evil in the world implies that God might either be all good, but not powerful enough to stop evil, or all powerful, but not good enough to stop it. The inference, then, is that because of the presence of evil in the world, the all-powerful, all-good God of the Bible cannot exist. But is this conclusion really valid? Could it be that if God is really as great and really as powerful as we believe him to be, like like in the story of Joseph, there are reasons for suffering and evil that we just do not understand? Well, thankfully, Pastor John is in the studio to help us work through this challenging topic. Pastor John? Oh, wow. Dr. Ford, you're right. We are in for quite the study. I I would suspect if we can get through this even in two, possibly three weeks, I'd be greatly surprised because the reality is, is we've been building up for this as we've talked about these 10 issues that divide Christians. And our hope in this, of course, is that every time we go right back to God's Word, we get on the same page together as Christians, because we get really passionate about different perspectives. That paradigm then shapes our our beliefs. We then find the Scriptures to support those paradigms, rather than just reading Scripture for what it says. Last couple weeks, as you know, we've been talking about the subject of war, and we heard from quite a few of our listeners. I'm so grateful for that, especially those in law enforcement, those in the military community. It really did touch a nerve because this is quite a serious discussion amongst Christians when it comes to defending people who are being oppressed, those who have been victimized, and maybe even having to take a life in that process. And as you mentioned, Dr. Ford, this all comes back to this conversation we knew was coming because we've been dealing with the symptoms of sin in our world and now talking about this thing we call evil. And sin and evil are together. It's synonymous. Uh, we, we like to diminish certain sins uh, <laughs> as true. if this sin is not as bad as that sin. <laughs> right. So therefore, we're not going to put it fully in the category of evil. But the reality is it's all evil. It is all darkness and wickedness before the holiness of God. You need to only go back to Scripture and see what Isaiah saw oh, or yeah. Ezekiel or what we read in the very beginning of the book of Revelation and describing the awesome presence of God in his throne room. Someone sent me a video the other day of this lightning coming off this peak, and I don't recall which country it was in. It was not here in these uh, United States, but the image just made me just stop and just 
this awestruck wonder of this is a powerful display that's nothing like the holiness of the presence of God, like Moses experienced on Mount Sinai. And yet we just are so flippant in how we handle that. We should be as the prophets of old when Daniel was approached by Gabriel and he hears the voice and he sees the visions, especially in Daniel chapter 8, and his right response, like Ezekiel, like Isaiah, to fall on his face, like the apostle John. It's just overwhelming the sheer awesome presence of God. That's what we should be thinking when we consider this this thought process as we paint this canvas now of the world we're in and the reality of the circumstances that we're in, when we talk about evil, when we talk about the effects of sin, the entropy that is created, we live in a world of entropy. Everything falls apart. The fact that when Adam and Eve sinned and were uh, excommunicated, when they were you know evicted from the Garden of Eden, the reality is they should have died instantly. But God in his mercy allows this process now to unfold of entropy where we are in a world of decay. Things don't move towards order. They move towards disorder. Our cells disintegrate and start to move apart. Uh, planets are moving apart. Things are di- di- digressing. They're not increasing and moving towards order and newness and function, but into disorder, chaos, and destruction, ultimately. Things fall apart. Look at our roads in Colorado Springs. Things fall <laughs> apart. <laughs> you have to maintain it. You have to keep it in some kind of order, or you know, it feels like in a week it would just completely fall apart. That's the world we live in, but it's actually even far worse than that. Let me just paint a picture here, Dr. Ford, as we get into this, and we'll, we'll talk more frankly about this as we stay with us, folks. As you're listening to this broadcast, we're going to, over these next couple weeks, we're going to take you right into the heart of Scripture, not just give you our opinions. It really doesn't matter what we think. Ultimately, it's what does God's word say on these Amen. issues? So we've got a lot of scriptures we're going to share over these next few weeks. But let me paint this picture for us. We are born on a battlefield. When we were born and when we came out of the womb into this flesh and blood that God appointed, he knows every person. He knows their names. He knows how they look, the very numbers of the hairs on their heads. God has appointed everything. And if we really knew how amazing that is, that in God's creation and his canvas, He not only allows us to be born, but he knows us. It doesn't matter how many billions of souls walk the face of this earth. He knows every single person. He knows the cascading effect of every decision they're ever going to make and how it impacts those around them, how it impacts society, the environment, everything, right? He knows all of those details. That's how awesome he is. We're going to be learning from him forever, right? We're never going to fully know the mind of God. It is far beyond any human comprehension. If the goo between my ears could figure out the awesomeness <laughs> between of all of God, I would be greatly disappointed. It's going to take an eternity to keep learning from him. But he allows us to be born into this creation. He has appointed every vessel at such a time. And we're born into a battlefield, not into utopia. It is ugly. It's dark spiritually. And we're born into it and to the overcomer We are told we will sit on the throne with Jesus Christ, according to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Go back and read that. To every one of the churches, he reprimands all but two uh, because they had been wayward and some of their uh, becoming undisciplined and their allegiances to Christ had waned. So he commends certain things and then reprimands them in other things. 
But at the end of each one of those, to each of these seven churches, he, com- he gives a statement, that a promise, a blessing to these who are the overcomers. One of those is you sit on Christ's throne. Can't even imagine such a thing. But if Satan had his way, we would be ripped limb from limb, according to 1 Peter 5, 8, that he is a roaring lion who seeks to devour. So from the very beginning, it has been this way, according to Revelation, that he has sought to destroy all who follow the Lord. The dragon seeks to devour. It can be anything that the Lord has marked. He has marked his, uh, his nation of Israel. He's marked the city of Jerusalem. Of all the cities that Satan could want, he has his eyes fixed on that prize because God has declared it as something that belongs to him. So Satan wants it, wants to corrupt it and destroy it. We see that of all the Assyrian kings of the north, of Babylon. Uh, we, we see all these beasts that are unra- unraveled there and unveiled for us there in the book of Daniel. Uh, but ultimately, what it comes down to is the dragon wants what belongs to the Lord. And he calls a people his own of the nation of Israel and of the Gentile church, calls us his own. We're grafted into those promises, as we know. So his desire is to attack anything and everything that the Lord has declared is his, right? So this is the, this is the reality of our world. We are not born into a place of rainbows and butterflies, although there are <laughs> rainbows and butterflies. But it's it's not utopia. It's not the end. This is not the blessing. In fact, this is like the the dump yard. Right. And we go around and look how beautiful it is. Can you imagine then if the dump yard is this beautiful, how amazing and gorgeous and beautiful the real thing is going to be without sin and the toxins of it and the entropy caused by fallen man. So any good in this world is from God. It's not natural to the environment. So like the time before the flood, I mean, once the restrainer is removed, and we've talked about that in 2 Thessalonians 2.6, in the final 1260 days, the world will only know the cesspool of evil of every type in that final three and a half years under the rule of the Antichrist. That's the world's natural state. Right, So once the Holy Spirit is removed, although there will be believers, and we know according to 1 Corinthians 6 that those believers are temples of the Holy Spirit, once the, the church age of that dispensation has come to an end, for those 1260 days, what we see in the, the final three and a half years, not even just the whole seven years of the final tribulation, and, and certainly if the rapture, the harpazo is at the beginning of that seven-year period of time, then the world will know seven years, especially the final three and a half years, of seeing the world for what it really is. That without Christians, without the work of the Holy Spirit, without God moving in a supernatural way to buffet evil, all the world would know is the astonishing heaviness of the darkness that permeates this world. So we seem to think that that men and men are inherently good. <laughs> we we know where some of that that lie has been perpetuated, especially in higher education that men aren't inherently good. Uh, We know from Jeremiah, especially in Psalm 58, verses 3 to 5, that men are anything but good, right? You leave a child unattended for a few hours, uh, you're going to see raw humanity coming out. I mean, they're selfish and greedy and destructive. And listen, I have grandchildren. I love my grandkids. (laughs) But without discipline, they will they will destroy each other it yeah. seems right even with a good home environment but that's natural man coming out where you have to train up a man in the ways of god you've got to teach silver chivalry you've got to teach 
how to respect elders and to be gentle to women and children. And you've got to teach these things. That is not natural to the state of man. They're naturally wicked and self-serving to the core of these men. (laughs) No, I agree completely. I was going to say the same thing. It's like, those statements just must be made by people who've never had children. (laughs) You you don't have to teach a kid how to, uh, you know, have a meltdown or how to lie or, you know, any of those things. It just comes naturally as part of our flesh. Yeah, self-preservation of it Yeah, if we're not intentional about heading in the other direction, well, then we're just going to continue down that same road. That's right. That's why when Paul tells Timothy about the state of affairs in the final days where men are just displaying the worst of wickedness, I mean, towards elders and parents and others and lovers of self and wicked to the core— I believe that we're seeing that starting to happen all around us because if you think about where we've come even since the 80s in our own backyard, if you look at our nation today and and the state of affairs in which Christians seem to have a greater voice and even in the school system, I mean, we take back all the way to 1962 and we see the digression in the school system. When you strip out the the ways to the, the antidote to sin, when you take that out of the school system of prayer and reading God's word, and you take that out of the living rooms, and you take that out of society, out of films and all the influencing spheres within our culture, no wonder we're at the point that we're at. And we're just beginning to hit the tip of the iceberg, I believe. Yeah, you can see what has happened since the 1980s, as you mentioned, to truth. Mm. The 1980s. Ronald Reagan is in a political debate, and he tells his opponent that you are welcome to your own opinion, but not your own facts. Mm. Today, back in the 80s, nobody would have argued with that statement. Today, obviously, people would take an issue with that statement. Right. That, you know, their facts are as relative as anybody else's facts, and there's no such thing as truth, so this is my truth, yes. you know, and those sorts of things. I mean, how things have changed in a fairly short period of time. Right. It's, it's all moral relativism right. at large. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. That's not how truth works. Right. Right. Two plus two equals four. Right. right? I mean, (laughs) you can't skew that. And now even in the school system, they'll say, well, maybe two plus two equals four. (laughs) But for this child, it doesn't. (laughs) The rules don't apply to that. That's not how this works. And we keep perpetuating this lie of psychological disorders and and treating them as normal. And it's like we have to have a plumb line, a standard within society of what is right and what is wrong. And that's ultimately what we're going to talk about here that's because right. we need a right paradigm to even begin the conversation of evil about the world that we live in. Rather than perpetuating the lie, we have to call it out for what it really is. Rather than ask why there's evil, if we fully understood the the truth about sin, then we'd be even asking the question, why is there any good? That's right. Right, because the natural state of mankind in his fallen sin nature would be to destroy everything and everyone. There would be nothing even called good. So the fact that we can even identify something opposite of evil is all the work of God. It has been his handbook, his instructions into this world. He starts with the people of Israel, isolates them, trains them up, gives them his law, his 613 ordinances, shows them how to do it right. Those generations then impact other generations. It spreads around the known world into all furthest reaches of the world. And then we have this thing called civility, this that that we train up children rightly, we'd have a system of laws and what is right against that which is wrong. So we'd have the contrast, and that's because light was sprinkled into a dark world, 
Right. And that's what right. the Lord Jesus was. He was light coming into the darkness, but the darkness hated the light. And that's why we constantly see contention to this. That's why those who clamor for change and tear down the age-old strongholds, it's because they're darkness that hates the light. That has not changed. That continues, and Ecclesiastes always tells us that, that we are then going to experience the reality that there is nothing new under the sun, and we are the salt and light, and as salt and light, we contrast the ways of the world, even when it hurts. And that's ultimately, as we see in discipline, no parent loves to discipline their child. God doesn't even want to do that, but he disciplines those he loves. And likewise, parents will have to discipline their children. What a concept. It seems to be a foreign concept nowadays uh, that we just let children just behave as they want to behave, and we'll just try to talk them off of it or out of it, and it's not going to work. And sometimes discipline is strong. It maybe even seems harsh at the time, but it's because you love. And there's a right way and a wrong way to discipline. We've certainly talked about that on this program. But I think, Dr. Ford, in just our few minutes today, it's amazing how fast this goes. This is the fastest 25 minutes on radio, right? That's right. Uh, we have to at least start with the concept of why is there pain and suffering in the world? We have to address this. Because this is probably one of the most difficult subjects, especially for Christians or unbelievers even. Christians struggle with how to even answer that. Unbelievers struggle with, well, if this God is of yours is so great and ruling on his throne, why is this, there, this thing called evil? I mean, evil and suffering run rampant in the world. I mean, it's all around us. You just look at the news for 30 seconds right. and you're going to see... Uh, all the water cooler talk about all the horrible things that are going on. I mean, from terrorism to disease to pain caused by so-called natural disasters or tragedies of one sort or another, they, they're just all around us. And we would we constantly find ourselves asking why. Why would God allow innocent children to suffer? Can't he do anything about it? That's always the question, especially when we talk about human trafficking and the Sound of Freedom movie and all yeah. these things. We know this is going on all around the world and people struggle with how can God allow such a thing? And that's what I, I want us to be able to cover that subject and many others in this series that we're now in. I mean, because the, the issue that many Christians struggle with is how is it that an all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God would allow evil and suffering to enter his perfect creation? <laughs> that's this this is now questioning God, no no uh, different perhaps than even we see with Job as he was respectfully questioning, but then Job gets a tongue lashing for two full chapters of reminding him who's really in control, to which Job then responds with, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, right? He was humbled before the awesome power of God when when God answers him in this way, and and God knowing the heart, and yet Job did not sin but he, in his heart, questioned. I mean, certainly he was devastated. Why was I even born? And you, you see the depression kick in, you know, the, the, the remorse. I mean, he's lost everything, his children, his businesses, his uh, pride, right, his uh, stature, status, and so forth. All of these things have been just robbed, taken from him, and he's getting all this terrible advice, and, and he's lamenting the day he was born, lamenting his circumstances. But God doesn't answer those kind of questions. He just reminds him who's on his throne. God is all-powerful even in this. So the the problem of evil comes into this, that if a loving and all-powerful God exists, why is there evil in the world? And we'll bring this question up with each program that we're going to go through here in this series, that evil is also a problem for other worldviews, and we see that. Evil and suffering 
is ultimately then why some people will reject God or the concept of God altogether. C.S. Lewis put it so well. He said, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. So without a straight line of morality, atheists aren't in a position to call anything good or evil. Right There right. has to be a standard, there has to be a, a, a line that has been drawn to know that anything else is askew, that is not aligned with that straight line. We don't have some parallel lines going here. Uh, so they've been able now to identify culturally, at least by way of law, or ideally as we understand it, the Bible being the, the plumb line of all of this, they had to know that this was what was once straight. We're not on that straight line anymore, what has happened? So you have to be able to at least come to the table with an understanding that they know that there is a right that is in contrast to that which is wrong. Uh, in the book, Can Man Live Without God? Here's a great quote on this. When you say there's too much evil in the world, you assume there's good. When you assume there's good, you assume there's such a thing as a moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil. But if you assume a moral law, you must posit a moral law giver. But that's who you're trying to disprove and not prove. Because if there's no moral lawgiver, then there's no moral law. If there's no moral law, there's no good. If there's no good, there's no evil. Right. Right. So this this is really the, the paradigm we got to come back to, that that means that in order for there to be a defined thing called good, in contrast to that which is evil, then there must be that which defines good and that which is good. Right. And that's ultimately God. So we have to at least start with that baseline, that there is a God, and he's made a moral law. He has defined for us what is good, and anything that doesn't align with that is, by contrast, wrong, i.e. evil. And so as we get into this whole discussion of evil, then what we're going to try to get back to is where did this thing called evil come from, which is not this creation of something, but the absence of something, right? Right? Because evil would then be the absence of good. Yep. So if we're not doing good, then by default, we're naturally doing what is evil. And that is our natural default because we're sin-natured creature that has to be transformed uh, through Jesus Christ. We have to be transformed by the washing renewing of our minds now, because our minds are putrid and evil and only think evil thoughts. We don't think so much like we do. But in truth, we do. I mean, even when we give, there's usually a motive behind it. Even right. when we do something that's good, it's because we're motivated to uh, maybe deal with a guilty conscience or yeah. something. There's there's usually a wrong motive attached even to the good things that we do. And so we really have to define it to the reality of all of this that we deem as even somewhat good-ish right. is actually laced with evil. Right. And so there's only one standard of total good, yeah. and that is in Jesus Christ. Yeah, it can even be carried away as far. Sometimes if we're going, if we're told that we're supposed to love people, or if we're, if we're loving them just to share the gospel, well, then even then we sort of have an ulterior motive. Mm. You know, We weren't asked to, to love with an ulterior motive. We were just asked to love them. And of course, as part of that, we're going to share the gospel. But even as something seemingly as pure as that, it can, you know, we, can, we manage as human beings to be able to defile it. That's right. I know. <laughs> and, and that's going to be the journey, I think, through this study. I mean, Ronald Nash said this way. He said the, the problem of evil in his book to answer to everyone in answers, the name of the book, he said, is the most serious intellectual obstacle that stands between many people and religious faith. The problem of evil is grounded on the fact that a number of related and essential beliefs about God appear to be incompatible with the evil we encounter in the world. And so through this series, Dr. Ford, we're going to talk about the nature of evil. I mean, what is evil? What kinds of evil exist? 
Of course, we're not going to be able to give an exhaustive list on that. I mean, everything around us seems to have evil in some form or another in it. Uh, but we'll, we'll come back to sort of uh, the whole philosophical perspective of this, but ultimately bring it back to what is truth, which is what God's word says about this thing called evil. And ultimately, it's going to bring us full circle back to that which is good. And where does good come from? And good is not natural to the earth. Good is something from God. And anything good that happens is because of God working in this world and through his people to bring this thing we define as good, uh, because it is the opposite of the darkness that's in this world. So we've got a lot to cover in a very short period of time, because we've got probably a couple more weeks, at least on the subject. So we want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth, as perhaps we've piqued your interest to listen in again next week and the following week as we dive into the subject of evil and address the paradigms and the obstacles that have prevented people from the the concept of at least acknowledging, even though they can't, because Romans 1 says that God is found in everything that he has created. It's all around us. We can't deny his existence, but we try to justify living in sin. And even those who are atheists, which is even, I would argue, is more of a religion even than many other religions. But the truth is, is we're going to get into all of this, explore these things to great detail. So we want to encourage you to tune in next week again here to Engage in Truth. To listen to this broadcast and others in the series, go to calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.